As we proceed through Lent 2021, I invite you to come along for this part of our journey for Sunday, March 21st, the fifth Sunday in Lent. This message is called Returning to Normalcy Goes Against the Grain. And I preached it on this day. The scriptures I'm preaching out of are from Jeremiah 31 and primarily John 12. And before listening any further, I invite you to pause with me in a brief moment of prayer. God of the ages, God of history and mystery, God who accompanies us, as we walk toward you, with you, and in you. Open our ears and our eyes to see what you have for us, to listen to and to see that we may grow as our servants of you in this world of shadow, that we may bring light where there is despair and understanding where there is fear. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. And here goes, first our reader, Beth Sturba, and then the sermon, Returning to Normalcy Goes Against the Grain. Our first reading is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. This passage follows a section in which God has promised that as he depopulated and depleted Judah, sometimes known as the Southern Kingdom, God will also restore it and reunite, re- reunite Judah with Israel, sometimes known as the Northern Kingdom. After this, the prophet conveys God's plans for a new way of relating to God. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make it a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This ends the reading from Jeremiah. Our epistle reading is the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. The writer has been talking about the sacrificial system in the Jewish temple and how a high priest was in charge of making sacrifices on behalf of the people. Then he writes about Jesus as our high priest. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This ends the reading from Hebrews 5. This morning, the gospel reading is John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. This passage follows John's version of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we mark on Palm Sunday. And he's about to conclude his public ministry during Passover. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now, my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be, will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Here ends the reading from John in our scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of God for the people of God. All of us have heard folks wish for a return to what life was like before COVID-19. It's true, we have all been, and not just in North America, in a kind of exile from what we knew, just like we are also in a kind of desert or wilderness wandering season. I will stick with the idea, idea of returning one day to life before exile, because that's what is going on in Jeremiah's time when the prophet spoke that very famous prophecy. Because as Jeremiah brought us this passage, which is found in a portion of his book called the Book of Consolation, are we not also looking for consolation? United Church of Christ pastor Cheryl Lindsay wrote, we may know that these words of consolation do not come prematurely. The exiled community will be restored to the land promised to and inhabited by their ancestors. 
Their displacement will end. The reunion is imminent. Consolation now occurs at an appropriate moment as their reason for mourning will subside, making room for hope. Hope signals healing. Healing takes place in the midst of brokenness. Hope, she said, needs to be relearned. In referring to the new covenant the Lord pledges in our Jeremiah text, she said, in this promise of a new covenant, the change will be in the way that the people receive it. This covenant will not dictate or constrain behavior, it will transform lives. As the exiled Israelites dreamt of what it would be like to return to Israel and to have this new covenant where God's law is written on their hearts, not on stone, they may have imagined things being, at the best, like they were before. Find the old homestead, start up the family business again maybe, erect a new Jerusalem temple, and hope to be an independent nation state again. But as Reverend Lindsay points out, this new covenant means a lasting transformation is in the works. Returning to the way things were for you, me, and St. Peter's before the pandemic certainly has its appeal. Jobs come back. Uncertainties recede. Plans for going away can be made later. And people will stop dying from the virus as the vaccines spread and the mutations are eventually successfully contained. We pray. More people, it is hoped, return to church once it is possible to safely and really open up. Our missions that had to be amended or suspended can pick up again. However, as sure as I am about us having heard folks pine for a return of normalcy or what life was like a little over a year ago, I'm also sure that you've heard we do not want to go back to the way things were. We do not want to turn the clock back to the days, which actually started after COVID started, when a police officer nonchalantly kneels on the neck of a black man crying for air until he is dead. We do not want to turn back to the days, including these current days, when white supremacy is assumed to be the proper lens through which to experience the world and is not critiqued or overturned. When six Asian women are murdered, in, like in Georgia, when LGBTQ plus persons' lives and livelihoods are still at risk, so we need things like Trans Remembrance Day, when voting rights remain under siege, and when systemic injustices against people of color continue to hold those communities as a whole back in terms of equality and equity. We do not want to go, go back to when we do not care to face what it has been like over the centuries to be a person of color, a woman, an immigrant, a person of color who's been the victim of poverty or crime or a victim of gay action. In the light of faith, those days actually are part of Egypt and the exile 
and wilderness, a time of unwillingness to learn the art of truly loving our neighbors as ourselves, to meet Jesus among the marginalized, like in Matthew 25, and even loving and praying for our enemies. Returning. Let it not be to that dimension of normalcy, but to a life under the influence of this new covenant where God's laws of love, honesty, humility, generosity, and others are written not on stone tablets only, but on our hearts where God said God will be known, God lives and forgives. Well, where do we go from here? We've got a good gospel lesson to set us up once we've touched base with Jeremiah. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He went on with a similar theme right after it. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. The theme is not only the grain of wheat bearing fruit only after it dies, but also finding life in dying to the materialistic, self-centered values of this world so we can follow Jesus. The theme is also about surrendering the captainship of our lives and letting God be man. Serving Jesus is the next step after the grain of wheat dies and the discernment of real life kicks in. Following Jesus, to be with him and being his servant. This passage that I read is all more or less a giving up, downward trend to an old self, an old set of perspectives that leads to bearing fruit finding eternal life, and being honored by our Creator. I put in my notes that this is like a trio of paradoxes. Returning to normalcy with all of its willful ignorance, inaction, systemic injustices, and murder goes against the grain Jesus talked about, the one that has to die to actually grow grain and bring nourishment. Obviously, a lot of what we've been missing is good, and I trust you know I'm not talking about that, but normal also includes wickedness that must be cast out in the name of love, in the name of the Lord. Returning to a normalcy with something akin to Jeremiah's covenant of the heart inscribed by God involves that seed of grain dying, the self-centered life willing to be given to Jesus for Jesus' sake, and to be Jesus' obedient servant through it all. That's a long sentence, let me say it again. Returning to a normalcy with something akin to Jeremiah's covenant of the heart inscribed by God involves that seed of grain dying, 
self-centered life willing to be given to Jesus for Jesus' sake and to be his obedient servant through it all. This sounds rather unempowering, does it not? Letting the grain of our old selves die so that which is blessed may grow and bloom. Detaching from the parts of life and this world which really displeased God, which then should upset us. And letting Jesus and the gracious will of God be our boss, instead of our own human nature with self-will run amok. These, I suggest, are part of what you and I and even our houses of worship are to do in service to Jesus in the works of peace, love, justice, faith, healing, and righteousness. Putting our agendas down to serve out of loving service to Christ and the realm of God. That brings progress in what is precious in the eyes of God. Those with God-inscribed hearts do suffer a lot of times, but will out. Out of the Son's death on Golgotha has come grace and everlasting life by the providence of God, of course, to transform what was the poisonous, damaging parts of normalcy, the old seed of wheat, the unwilling hearts and proud minds must submit to the love and power and plan of God. This love and power of God can then use us in service to bring about a better, fairer, repentant, and reconciling community on earth as it is in heaven. We can best use our wills to get in sync with by now, if not earlier, you are probably thinking that the folks with the problems who need God to inscribe God's self on their hearts, need to truly know God and God's forgiveness, are those persons we see on TV, agitating or murdering or threatening or acting sanctimonious while condoning or propagating violence and mistruths are the evil elements of the old normalcy. You may very well be right. But scripture says that judgment begins with the house of God. So as Jesus said, we in the church need to take logs out of our own eyes before we approach others to pick up specks out of their eyes. As for racism against people of color, the church has played a supportive role in this country's past. As a grandson of the South, I wondered why on earth could that part of the country call itself the Bible Belt when it acted and in some places still acts so hatefully towards black Americans. Yet the bitterly ironic nickname endures. Our comfortable blinders that keep you and me from seeing the guilt of white churches over the past 400 years plus must be removed die like that grain of wheat dying in the soil so you and i realize that we cannot see ourselves or present ourselves as allies without knowing that history that's what that's white privilege right there to pretend that well that's not true we don't need to we can ignore that history the history hurts it's something i myself would rather pretend were not true 
Yet when we are rigorously honest, then we can approach our service for Jesus with greater humility. Humility is something of the new covenant within our hearts, which God can use to transform the new world. The blinders need to come off. Let's remember what Cheryl Lindsay told us as I quoted her at the top of the sermon. She said, hope signals healing, and healing takes place in the midst of brokenness. Hope needs to be relearned. In this promise of a new covenant, the change will be in the way that the people receive it. This covenant will not dictate or constrain behavior. It will transform lives. I would like to do what I can to advance the positive transformation of lives, including my own. It will take time. Leaning towards a wholly new normal, expanding to beyond our individual self. It may take something like South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I know that I need and we need God's help, the grace of Christ, and the encouragement of communities of faith. We do not do this all by our lonesomes, by any stretch of the imagination, to serve the Savior in this way. That we dead grain seeds can be a part of. The fruit we dead grain seeds bear, that fruit can be part of a more just and safer place for women and people of color, for righteous police, prophets of shalom, and all God's children. It will take time, as I said, and work and patience and hope. For generations. But I trust that with all the enjoyable and truly positive healing aspects of the normal we painfully had to leave behind without choice and hope to restore, we also do not want to return to the bad parts of normalcy. It's not up to someone else to do it. It starts with you and me, a household of God, opening our hearts minds, souls, and our voices for grace-filled transformation. Amen. We have to have hope. Hope is a sign of healing. Healing happens in brokenness. Sometimes hope has to be relearned as we go through the next stages of our lives and this country's life. May we remember that surface changes is not really what Jesus is looking for in us or in our uh, country's attempts, if there are any attempts to resemble the realm of God as we experience it and understand it in Jesus Christ and the prophets of the Old Testament apply to our world. So I hope this has been... Um, a gift to you as it was a gift to me to write it and to preach it. 